Welcome, Michelle Schwangler. It's nice to, to have this chat with you. For, for those of you who are just tuning into this, um, my name is Eugenia McGuire. I'm a social worker doing the Unpacking Depression podcast project um, and series, uh, talking to folks with thoughts on and or lived experience of depression. And I have Michelle Schwangler joining me who was recently an artist in a mental health exhibit that I curated. So it's really nice to have you here. Michelle, and I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, sorry. <laughs> so I'm Michelle, and um, uh, my daytime job is working with adults with acquired brain injuries. Uh, and then the way that I kind of like to deal with my depression is uh, is painting and 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 kind of painting my experiences with mental health. Um, and that's that's the main thing. Um, Otherwise, just have a, I have a husband and a dog that I love dearly and not sure what else you want to know about me. <laughs> That's perfect for now. I just like to let people introduce themselves however they see fit or however it's relevant in the context of this um, topic and conversation. And um, so the painting experience, that's really, I'm really curious about that. Um, I've definitely had a lot of people share with me that there are different ways that they express themselves creatively, which has been a lifeline for their um, depression, which um, from my theoretical standpoint in attachment-based and developmental science stuff, um, expressive play, uh, the sort of theory of play, like emotional playgrounds and outlets for expression um, is, is huge in terms of taking care of emotions. Um, but a lot of people get into it without any theoretical background. They just sort of intuitively go there. So I'm curious about your experience and how you came to be an artist or how you came to use art to express emotion. Yeah, that's a great question. It's really, it's become the biggest way that I can deal with my emotions uh, I have experience with art and painting and, and sketching and things ever since I was born, pretty much. Um, my grandmother and my dad did a lot of uh, teaching me. So it's in our genetics, you could say, <laughs> and never realized back then how much it actually helped emotionally. Um, but as I kind of grew older and evolved, I remember sitting down one day after having just been in a real terrible way and um, wanting to paint, not knowing that it was something that helped me um, and just not knowing what to paint because I used to paint what would people like, what would sell at markets, that sort of thing. And I finally thought, ah, I'm just going to paint for myself for once. So I let the paint kind of flow and I ended up doing what I call my first mental health piece because I ended up painting what I was feeling, which was pretty, uh, the depths of depression. Um, and it was, and it was one of my first pieces that I actually really, really loved. And that was very eye opening to me. Um, and that's when I realized how therapeutic it was because when it, when I take the time to process it through something that I understand and something that I'm comfortable with, which is art and painting, um, it gives me the time to process it and to make it something tangible and something that 
I can look at later and make sense of why did I paint that? What was I going through? Kind of take time for myself as well. Um, so that's kind of, that's been a huge, huge therapeutic avenue for myself. It's nothing that I've, I have really learned anything about that or, um, but I've been doing it for years and, and my artwork slowly evolved and it's really interesting. The more passion and the more emotion that you put into something, um, the more beautiful and the more love that you have for it and the more understanding that you have for yourself, I find. Um, yeah, so I do, uh, I did teach the creating art for your mental wellness uh, at the Leduc Arts Foundry. Um, thanks to you for setting that up. And uh, that was honestly a dream come true for me because it has helped me so much in ways I cannot even describe. So to have that opportunity to share even a fraction of that with anybody was so huge for me. And I got really emotional. And afterwards I was just so excited to hear people talking about their pieces. And I think the best part was asking them one question about their painting or their piece afterwards, just saying, what's going on with this or why this or why this color? And to see their brains kind of going, oh, I don't know. And then starting to think about it and going, oh my gosh, it's probably because of this. And so it is a way to connect with those emotions and those feelings that that aren't something that you can can touch per se, but it's a way to to break it down and to to really challenge yourself to think of it in a different perspective and um, again to make it something that tangible is, is the word that always sticks out in my mind because it's something that you can then touch and look at and process. You know, what color is it? What it, is it actually a face? Does it talk? Is it a is it a thing? And it kind of takes the power away a little bit, you know, because it makes it something when it is a thing and it is tangible, then it has power that can be taken away and something that you can um, overcome as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love talking to people who haven't necessarily studied kind of the theory of play, like the analytical side of it, but just can just describe it intuitively and from their own experience. And it it's exactly the theory, like how you're describing um, how basically you you take this medium um, and you take what's inside of you and you just allow it to come through and be expressed and the emotions come out and they something, you know, a painting or whatever it is, let's say it's a painting, um, emerges. And then afterwards, once you start to get, once it's outside of you, then you can start to analyze it and try to understand it. And maybe it connects to the story or um, you, it, there's something that's revealed that you maybe didn't know was there or you kind of couldn't put your finger on it. Um, so rather than like thinking your way, it's not a thinking process. Like you don't think your way into this like healing um, the expression comes through and then you think about it afterwards. You're like, oh, that's connected to this experience or this story or something, which is really, really cool. So had you ever um, facilitated something like that, like a workshop where you were helping others basically to do what I assume what it is that you do, which is painting your feelings, painting out your emotional experiences and yeah, not um, not to that extent. I have taught a couple gratitude journaling 
workshops, which has been just unbelievable. That's the other thing also creative. So I find it, it does fall in the same category, but not quite. Um, I do find quite a big difference in that. So I, I've taught a few of those workshops and um, I really find that that can also be just astronomically life-changing and really it's more of evaluating to me with gratitude journaling um, the day-to-day. And I don't even know if I could call it gratitude journaling in all honesty, because sometimes I just need to put my emotions in there too. And I think that's more of a um, kind of a quick handed thing. And also it's something that I can kind of take with me, my journal, uh, and, and sit down one day when I'm not doing well, even at work. And then at my lunch break, I'll go, oh man, I'm just mentally, I'm just so overwhelmed. And so I'll sit down and try to focus on the positives from the week or anything that I just need to, um, evaluate or, or kind of understand Mm -hmm. a little bit better. And so I'll go through the pictures and my phone go through my calendar and say, what even happened this last week? What's going on? What's triggering me and just draw it out. And, uh, yeah, so I, I was really, it was so wonderful. I taught, um, the, the glow group, which is, um, now every girl it's called. It's a, it's a group for teenage girls in Leduc and uh, just a writing group. And so I, I did that there and it was so wonderful to see it in youth you know, to see them light up and think, well, I can't draw. And I, and I'm trying to evaluate, I'm trying to express, it's not about that. And I I feel so sad when people get stuck on that. Well, I can't draw the images of my weekend in in my journal because I I can't draw. Sorry. (laughs) Um, But I (laughs) said, Um, so yeah, something like that is just really something about evaluating the day to day. Whereas I think that actually sitting down and creating a piece, whether it's, it's a, it's a quilt of your emotions, even, or or anything, um, is more about really focusing on one thing, one, one emotion or one mental illness that you're struggling with, um, and really, really picking that apart and spending time on it over, over a while. But, um, yeah, teaching gratitude journaling to the youth. Oh man, it just, I just keep thinking, I wish that I had known about these things when I was younger because I needed an outlet and I, I don't feel like I had it. And mental health was never talked about when we were younger. I mean, it wasn't a thing. It didn't exist, wow. right? I mean, you would never even tell your doctor because they would just, you know, pull you out. The, yeah. yeah, just push you out of the office and say like, no, like that's not a thing. It's it's fine. Um, and so I think to, to see that inspiring in, in the youth these days and just being able to talk about it as an adult and, and being open and honest about it and saying, yeah, I, I have been diagnosed with depression and anxiety and, and, and it's okay. I'm still a perfectly functioning adult because I have these strategies because you see that in so many kids nowadays and everybody especially after the pandemic. Oh my goodness. So we need it now more than ever. Mm. I feel like I'm going on these tangents and forgetting what the question even was. (laughs) Perfectly fine. That's what we want. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, we need the outlets more than ever for expression. So 
when you were younger then was art just simply about performing like it was all performative and then it's at one point you said like screw this I'm just going to do what I want for myself yeah I think I think it was emotional support but I didn't know it then whenever because I didn't know that I had um, anxiety or depression let alone being in a big group and, and having anxiety from that so growing up, you know, when I'd go over to my grandparents' house and the, the room was full, I would be secretly panicking inside, just sweating and and panicking and not being able to be part of the conversation. And, and so being just incredibly shy. And um, the one thing that my sister and I used to do to deal with that was if we had a pen and a piece of paper, we were fine. <laughs> you know, as long as we were able to sit there and doodle mm-hmm. so I, I don't think that I realized that I, I think it was more of a calming technique but mm-hmm. I didn't realize that it was more for my mental and emotional wellness until I was it was getting older and then realizing that I would always go to it when I was anxious but I think without realizing that step and realizing that it was okay I think a lot of the time I would almost feel as though it was unacceptable. You know, I would get yelled at in, in class because I was, I was doodling, but then as soon as I had to put my pencil down, I was so anxious that I couldn't focus at all. Right. I would actually be drawing what the instructor was saying about the lesson, but they didn't see it like that. They thought that I wasn't focusing. So yeah. I ended up doing really poorly the last couple of years with a couple of teachers that said, you like, you, you have to put your pencil down when you're listening. I couldn't focus, you know? So it's like, it's so important in so many ways. And so like in every scenario, you have to know your strategies. You have to know your, your coping mechanisms and, and what helps you in, in situations. And you have to know yourself and realize when you're getting elevated and, and when you're unable to cope. And then once you get to that point, you can also learn um, the situations that do make you anxious. Cause I didn't know for a long time. I just thought I was just constantly anxious and maybe I was, but certain scenarios that were coming up for weeks would cause me, even though it was something very simple, mm-hmm. just weeks ahead would, would cause me just astronomical stress and anxiety. Just thinking about it, that this day was going to come when I would have to public speak or, or do a test even or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and without knowing those triggers and knowing the strategies like drawing, I didn't understand that it was kind of a, a way of coping and being told, you know, growing up, don't do that. That's not acceptable. I think I, I kind of unfortunately plastered that across a lot of my life experiences that I thought it was unacceptable to, to use that strategy, mm-hmm. um, and now that I'm adulting and, and everything, I, I feel completely confident, even in a meeting with my managers saying, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I, I like, I, I hope you don't mind. Sometimes I get anxious in situations and I will need to, I just need to like draw or even just have a pen in my hand and, and be whatever it is. And I feel absolutely okay saying that. Mm-hmm. Even if they were to say that's not acceptable, <laughs> I would, I would still be all right that I, that I said that. So it's taken me, I don't even know how old I am, 30 some years to get, to get to this point. Um, But yeah, and I really wish that, uh, 
that, you know, that we would learn that stuff sooner in our earlier in our lives <laughs> mm-hmm. help, help a lot. Yeah. Or at least the adults would know that about kids that, you know, some of them it's too vulnerable and too intense and whatnot to be, you know, just sitting there, eyes engaged, paying attention, right? Like to be able to have something external that they can kind of focus on where they don't need to make eye contact and they don't need to be, you know, everyone sitting there all engaged. Like that is pretty intense, actually, if you think about it, like a classroom. Everybody's looking at everyone. Like if if you can at least kind of like exactly and doodle away, you can kind of be in your own little little safe space and and then you can actually focus. I mean, when I was an adult and I went back to post-secondary, then I was doodling the whole class because I was drawing what she was saying. And it helped me learn so much that I went from being like a D student in high school to being an A plus student because I had those strategies and I was okay with, with using them. I was confident enough to know I'm not fooling around. The teachers told me before I was fooling around. So I thought that, that that's what that was. But no, this was actually what was helping me learn. I have to be able to translate the incoming messages into something that makes sense to me. And in my case, it was, it's, it's drawing and it's doodling it and, and putting it into a form that I understand. (laughs) Your brain was doing it's, it knew what it needed to do. And people were just trying to take that, take that away from you, which is so unfortunate. So um, other than the doodling and stuff, like your art back then, can you see how it reflected your emotional experiences? Like, were you just kind of intuitively getting stuff out that way? That's a good question. When I actually look back, I I used to draw the same things over and over and over um, a lot of the time, unless I was challenging myself artistically. But I used to, I used to always draw, um, like a woman, like a sad, sad woman or an angel. Uh, and I used to draw a lot of the time a heart, like an actual anatomical heart with things stabbing into it. And it is funny that I know, <laughs> I know right? And it is funny um, that I never took the time to kind of evaluate why I kept drawing those things. Um, maybe in, in school, you always think it's just a Maybe it's just a fun thing to draw, but nobody else was sitting there drawing angels and, and things like that. Um, so looking back, I absolutely think that was a reflection on me. I used to draw a lot of the time too. It was always um, things being set free. I used to write stories and, and draw um, that I would have these pets and, and big cats and things that I would always set free. And I think um, wow, maybe it was a little part of me that wanted to be free from whatever adversities it was. Uh, maybe it was from the mental illness. Maybe there was unhappiness in the home that I didn't recognize back then. I'm not sure. A lot of bullying in school, you know, bullied a lot. But it was just absolutely reflective. I think everything that we do is reflective on, on, you know, things in our lives that, and we just don't know how to evaluate that that age, I think. Yeah. That is so interesting. Yeah. The vicarious setting free of what you can't free yourself of. So you just 
free this character, right? This other, mm-hmm. yeah, this drawing. And so that is, that is really powerful. And that kind of must have helped gotten you through sometimes where you were trapped and you couldn't set yourself free. Maybe you didn't have that power or something at that time, but you could set these animals free in the drawings or whatever. Wow, that's incredible. Um, I have to share this with you. I was also, um, I only realized it in the last maybe few years or something, but I used to draw these. Um, I used to create photo books of yearbooks. Like I would draw all the students in the yearbooks and make these classrooms and just do like square after square with like people's headshots. And I would make yearbooks as a kid. And I had this whole family, which they had tons of kids in their family. And I named them the Darling family. And I was drawing in all the Darlings. They always had these huge foreheads and these little, like their faces and their faces just got smaller and smaller and smaller down here, like at the bottom of their face. And there, it was mostly just forehead. And I just, I don't know. I just was thinking that's that, that, that was how the Darling family was. And then I put the pieces together later in life where I was like, you know what? I was probably drawing out my feelings of rejection or shame because my mom told me she said to me just as an offhand comment one time as a kid she was like you know you have a really big forehead so you're always gonna have to have bangs your whole life you 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 can't have a hairstyle where your forehead is exposed and it was just like these things you absorb right but this like idea I absorbed about myself of like your forehead is too big I no longer have that idea I've had plenty of hairstyles where I've exposed my forehead and I don't have a thing about it anymore but upon reflection it was like who would say that to a child (laughs) like give them this weird idea about some physical attribute or their body or something that like you're not acceptable as you are you have to make this adaptation to get love in this world and so I think I was drawing out these darlings because (laughs) so funny, like the things kids make up. I was drawing out this family because, and they had these huge foreheads and it was like totally acceptable for all these people to have these big foreheads. Yeah, that is interesting. So interesting. And I didn't, I would love to, yeah, (laughs) I would love to go back and, and see a lot of my drawings growing up and try to figure, (laughs) figure out some things. But saying that, um, that, that always does make me wonder if it, back then and now that I, I do focus a lot on painting like beautiful faces um, and it's not intentional that, you know, I, I think everybody has to be beautiful. That's not what it is. But, but growing up, I was bullied a lot. Um, my, my sister, bless her heart. She's my best friend now, but, but growing up, um, she grew into her looks a lot sooner than I did. Let's just say, um, and I didn't think about that. It, it unfortunately wasn't me that was the first person to compare us. Um, but it was, kids at school and my family a lot of my family used to say it's too bad that I was ugly and and that I didn't look like my sister and you know things like that growing up and so I had this just horrible um just focus like this hyper focus on beauty and and um you know I wasn't allowed to wear makeup and we couldn't afford 
clothes, new clothes that fit us. It was always hand-me-downs from, from my sister that got it from our, our cousin that was a boy. <laughs> so it was like, you could imagine what that looked like. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I never cared until all of these people started pointing it out and they kept saying, and I kept thinking, wow, so I guess it is really important. And I really wish I was beautiful and, and no one is ever going to love me. And, and I never dated anybody through high school. Cause I was like, forget this, you know, nobody wants to, and never dated anybody through college. And it was really interesting. And then, and I never thought I was beautiful. I had to go out and do things on my own. I, I, I wanted to go into art and illustration. Um, but I was so afraid that if I did that, because that's what my sister went to school for, that that would be another thing that I would be following in her footsteps. So I think that's, so I I actually went into film (laughs) because it was just another creative outlook, well, theater first and then to get into film. But, um, but yeah, I do wonder, because I used to always draw like women's faces and, and um, like beautiful women and bodies. And and I still do that to this day. My mental health images are all based around like a, an abstract, um, female, beautiful face. Um, yeah. And it's all connected and it, it's all, it all makes sense to me. And, um, so yeah, I think when you're, when you're a child and, and you're hearing these things, it really does get permanently ingrained in your head. It's very unfortunate. Uh, and I, I remember thinking that I was, oh, my um, I remember thinking as I was getting older, I wonder if this is all in my head. I wonder if I imagined that people said that stuff to me because I had uh, some family members saying that never happened. Like you're making it up. And I thought, oh my gosh, holy cow. Was I making up all those, those things? And then when I remember this very specific time, one of the first times that it was ever brought up, if not the first time, when we were sitting at my grandparents' house and um, my grandfather, who I very much looked up to, was sitting across the table from my sister and I, and he looked back and forth in between both of us. And then he said, that's when he said, man, what happened to you? It's too bad you didn't get to be pretty like your sister. And it's too bad you didn't get looks like her and all these things. And I was very young at this point and I just went, huh? And so I thought that I made that story up. And so when I told my mom, she broke down into tears and said, I remember that day. And it was like stupidly relieving because I thought, wow, I didn't make it up. And I don't know if that's good or bad, you know, to know that it was that people were saying these horrible things to me. But um, it was nice to know that I didn't just make up those horrible things about myself I guess no kidding because then you're, it's, it's like being gaslit or being like okay well yeah. now I'm really crazy I just fabricated all of this craziness and the reason for it to that and, but it seems that like a lot of times adults with if they're kind of uncensored with their like comments about observations about things or you know the judgments that people just have in their head that you know 
I probably shouldn't say out loud because it's really hurtful to someone else or whatever, right? But like, if you're the one who received that extremely wounding comment, um, you're going to remember that a lot more than someone who is kind of unfiltered, maybe immature, says things, you know, that could offend other people. But, you know, for them, it wasn't this memorable emotional experience. So yeah, maybe they don't remember it, right? Because they weren't the ones wounded by the comment. Um, if you're just making an offhand comment, it's not likely to be something that you really remember unless you, yeah. you know, it sunk in for them too, that they, that they saw the hurt that they caused and felt bad or whatever. But it is funny. Like I've also had other like friends, parents, when I was a child making weird comments about my body or like, you know, oh, and it's just like, how would you do that to a child? <laughs> like, yeah. Give them this like scar for life about like, you know, your ears are too big or you're, you know, I've had like as a teenager friends, parents like slap me in the butt and be like, like fat, fat, fat ass and stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, like I could, I can't even fathom like ever saying that or violating. It's like, that's, that's a violation of someone's body. But this kind of yeah. thing was sort of, I guess there was less awareness of it in our day as well, right? Oh no, that's still happening. It's horrendous. Yeah. Bullying is is just as bad as ever. And I guess I'm thinking because we we heard those things, do you think that that's why we would never say those things ourselves, or do you think that that's just in our personality? I always kind of wondered. Well, I'm thinking more of like adults saying it to children it seems like it would I don't know it could be that I'm more mature now and I'm projecting onto other adults thinking that they should be more mature but like I remember thinking of like yes kids will be kids they're very immature they're going to bully each Mm -hmm. other but like but adults like my friend's parents saying that kind of thing to me (laughs) like that that to me is inconceivable in a way right where it's like does that really still happen? I guess it probably does, right? But maybe it's not my world that I'm exposed to anymore where I'm hanging out with people that would say that to the kids. Yeah, it's just hard to imagine as an adult saying something like that to a child about like, I'm going to give you this complex about your body. <laughs> yeah, it's, I still can't believe some people say anything, that anything comes out of their mouth and you just look at them and go, Ah, I just wonder what happened to them to make them so horrible or to not even understand how hurtful it can be. Exactly. I mean, my grandpa, I I understand. I mean, oh man, he went through the war, like literally went through the war and he was in a Russian war camp. Like, you know, so I I understand now as an adult, but as a child, you don't understand that there's so much trauma that there's just no filter anymore. And they just, but then there's on the other hand, I guess I have a thing with grandparents because my grandmother on my other side um, just always just kept calling me fat, (laughs) you know, like I I laugh, sorry, because it makes me uncomfortable to say that out loud. Even the word fat. Oh, I hate saying that. Hate that word. And hearing it, like you said, from somebody that you trust and you love and you respect and for them to just come in and say like, Hey, you shouldn't be eating that. You're already way too fat. and, And like, like horrible offside comments. There's just no filter. And again, as an adult now, I can kind of go, uh, like, I know she just doesn't have a filter and 
she says that stuff to everybody, but growing up when you're a child, you just think Mm. that you think you're the only person that they're saying this to. So you think, oh my gosh, I must be the, the fattest kid in the, in the world to have my grandmother saying that to me. Yeah. You know, it's just, I just don't understand sometimes, but I, maybe I don't understand the trauma that she's been through and I, and everybody has. And I just wish that, um, you know, when we got into our adulthood, that people would be able to kind of sit back and go, Oh, I shouldn't say that, but not everybody has that filter, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's true. Yeah. And just, I know that a lot of adults sometimes think that they're trying to help you out. Like, I'm just trying to actually help you out by like trying to teach you how to be healthy or something. And they don't, (laughs) they don't realize that what they're saying is it's actually counterproductive to any sort of help that they could ever offer because it's actually just wounding and it's wounding the relationship. And yeah, we take that stuff all very personal and to heart and yeah, same thing. It's like calling a child fat like oh like oh so it's just heartbreaking yeah and honestly it has the absolute opposite effect because I I do believe that that's what my grandmother was trying to do as well was saying like like maybe think about what you eat or eat healthier but there's a way to say that you know and because she kept saying repetitively you're fat and don't do that I it absolutely it it backfired so so bad I had uh quite a complex about food and and my body and I still do and I ended up um just giving up because I was like well if I'm already fat you know because you kind of get mad about it and you're just like well what's the point why bother if nobody's offering me advice they're just saying you're fat that's it period then I'm like fine so I embraced it and I gained a lot of weight and I, to this day, have not been able to, <laughs> to get rid of it. And I think it is still a mental health issue that I, you know, that a lot of people suffer with. When you start getting those comments, you just think, well, why bother, you know? Yeah. I, oh, yeah. Totally. yeah. They're, they're creating the thing that they're trying to, um, so have a so-called protection, like, like protection instinct. Whereas the, it's not protecting, it's actually doing the opposite. It's actually wounding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Just, just such immature adults (laughs) coming from such a uh, self-serving or ignorant place. And then, you know, children get wounded and just intergenerational wounding and trauma. And yeah, we're so sensitive. Like human beings are so sensitive, (laughs) such sensitive little creatures. That's true. <laughs> but that's maybe one of the best things about us. I don't know. Yes. Best and worst for like yes. double-sided coin for sure. <laughs> so what is, in terms of depression, um, what's been your experience with that? Like um, what are the symptoms that you experience or um, how does that show up for you? Yeah, it. um, I think again, this is my, my, my voice trying to make it a more tangible thing. But to me, I always pictured it as an actual thing, like a monster. Mm. I think (laughs) that, um, but I, I physically feel very heavy 
like there's a giant, huge sack of rocks or this monster thing that just sits over my shoulders and my head because it's, it's a physical weight. It's so, it's actually really scientifically interesting. I, my body will physically curl forward and my head will fall forward because of the weight of it. And, um, and it's like, I feel like I can't carry it. Um, I feel very foggy as though I can't focus. Um, I will just for lack of a better term zone out for very long periods of time, just having a lack of wanting to, or the inability to do anything. Um, was a time when my husband was away and I was not doing very well. Um, and so for an entire like 10 to 11 hour period, I was sitting at the table, staring at the wall and I had no idea that that much time had passed. And all of a sudden I kind of came to and looked at the clock when the sun was down and I was horrified. And that was my breaking point. I burst into tears and I just thought, what just happened? I was that bad that I did not move from the chair, staring at that wall for that long and not even noticed. That's horrifying. And, um, I, like in a way I was glad he wasn't there to see that, even though I think if he was there, he probably could have helped me out of it. But, you know, you just, at that point, you, you don't want people to know that. And you, you're, I was like ashamed. I thought that I was a freak and, and that I was broken. And I thought that he would leave me if he found out. So for many years, I just didn't explain it, even though I would zone out around him. And he just kept kind of wondering like what's happening and it's because I didn't communicate that, that it almost broke us up because I, I just didn't talk to him about it. And, and, um, after that, that day, when he came home, I finally explained and, and finally seeked help with his, uh, support and, and anxiety on the other hand, it's, um, physically it's like, again, the inability to focus. It's the, the fogginess. A lot of the time my heart will start to race. I get sweaty. Um, I just, I, I get kind of unable to listen or, or I guess none of my, um, I, I don't have reactions anymore. I don't have, I, I'm, un, un, I'm, un, ugh. <laughs> I'm unable to understand or, or focus on anything that's happening in the room. I didn't realize that I had like social anxiety. Um, so around groups of people, including my friends, family, it doesn't matter. It's just a group. I think it's the stimulation of all the sounds and things. And, and, um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure, but there would be times and parties that's before I understood what was happening or what I, before understanding what it was that, all of a sudden I would just feel tunnel vision coming on and I would back off into a corner and just stand there or sit there. And I would feel my, my breathing start to increase. I couldn't tell what was happening in the room anymore. I would start to lose focus. Um, I needed to just get out. And the unfortunate thing is there was many times when I would just walk out, walk out of the house in the middle of the winter and just go for a walk minus 40 degrees. Cause I needed to get out. 
And I was so afraid to tell anybody that I didn't for years. And I would just disappear from parties and people would obviously be upset and be looking for me. And I couldn't even express what was happening well enough to say, I just need a minute. I'm going to go and sit downstairs. Instead, I just thought, I don't want anyone to know. I don't want to be judged. And I would just run out of the house. Um, and I would freeze outside, but it was better than being inside with this whole panic. And it upset a lot of people because people were worried and they were sick and tired of looking for me. And so finally one night at a party, I told my friends and I realized it was not that hard and nobody judged me. And I don't know why I was so scared to do it before, but yeah, I think you really do need to make note of these things when they happen to help yourself understand. I never did. I just would try to block it out. That didn't happen. I'm fine. I'll be fine at the next party. It's fine. I'm normal. But to actually accept it, that's the first step. You have to actually know, okay, I'm going to a party. It's with friends that I'm very comfortable around that I like that don't judge me. Um, I have to know that if I'm going to have to leave that I just tell somebody. So, and that, and it's somebody that you trust and you just say, I just need to go for a walk. And sometimes you need somebody to go with you, you know? So I remember having, uh, even at my own wedding, um, had some really high anxiety about certain situations. Um, and one of my best friends, he said, he could tell instantly. And he said, you just tell me the word banana. <laughs> well, that's our, I don't know why banana, but that's the code word. And we'll go for a walk. And I remember it got so bad around these, this certain kind of thing that was happening that I walked up to him and I just said banana and he dropped everything that he was doing. And he took me by the arm and we went out for a walk and I felt great again. And a lot of people still don't understand that and still get really upset and they think I'm being rude um, or, well, it's mostly that they just think I'm being rude, right? Or selfish or, but if I don't deal with it, and sometimes I haven't, I will completely shut down and snap and just, yeah, it's not, it's not good. So physically very very hard on the body and I will it'll it takes me a long time to recover even physically which is just so hard to comprehend because you're thinking uh something that is clearly so emotional and and mental how could that affect me so physically but people really have to take it easy on themselves and to to give themselves a break when that happens your whole body is in crisis mode it's in fight or flight I mean, especially with anxiety, right? Fight or flight, you're ready to just hit the door. With depression, I find it's the opposite where I'm just shut down completely. I can't move. I'm heavy. I'm, I feel like I have no energy. I'm incredibly exhausted and drained for days. Um, and it's really hard to recover from that. And it gets worse and worse. Yeah. So with the, like, the, the zoning out and shutting down and that kind of thing, like when you were sitting at the table for how many hours was it? Sorry, like, oh man, like 10, 10, 10 and a half hours. Yeah. So when you were in those kinds of states, um, like the shutdown, it sounds, and like the numbing and exhaustion and everything, um, or the fogginess and all that, 
is is it like a numbed out state where you're kind of like you're not really feeling anything or do you feel um like a tremendous amount of pain or you kind of like just out of touch with all that pain like the shutdown kind of just tunes you out of all of it it's a tune out for sure I feel nothing I absolutely just lost those 10 hours Boop, gone and I had a very hard time tuning back into reality it's almost as though my mind checks out yeah I don't even know where I go I don't remember having daydreams nothing I just Hmm. I feel nothing except for heaviness and exhaustion that's it yeah it's so interesting because there's so many different unique experiences because this was kind of like my impression of depression like my mental picture of like depression when I think of that word as like really sort of the brain just being like we're overwhelmed right now just shut it down numb it out tune it out kind of like what you're describing very foggy unable to feel zoned out shut down sleeping not exhausted but a lot of people have said that there's like just so much pain and so I just there's such there's such a range of experiences what we call depression where anything from feeling nothing to feeling like an over-the-top amount of of but just pain not like not the other not any other emotions or anything but just like the suffering and the pain and and that kind of stuff so um I think maybe we just don't have enough language for all these different experiences we're kind of just like we have this one label call it depression and within that there's so many so many different states within that overarching state and expressions and levels of severity and all that um so like when you were zoned out for 10 hours um was it hard to believe that 10 hours had gone by or like did you question like wait did that really happen like yeah it was literally as though somebody just took a pair of scissors and just cut away those 10 hours and my it's like my whole body and mind just shut off and then turned back on. That's what it felt like. All of a sudden the sun was down and I was so confused because the sun was just coming up. And I remember it took me a very long time to kind of adjust and to believe that that time had passed. I was so down and so tuned out that it was just like, bloop. And all of a sudden I thought, where am I? what's happening. I was very disoriented. Um, and then I just, I was so exhausted. I just went and laid down and went to bed. And then, you know, you, you lose like a whole day of your life. And I mean, I worked six jobs. That was my only day off. And, it, and then that made it worse, right? Cause then you wake up the next day and you're going, Oh my God. And that's why, that's why I worked <laughs> six jobs. Right. It's like, and I still do work. Uh, I think I'm down to three or four. I don't know. <laughs> but but if there's a reason for that, and I'm starting to understand it, because when I'm not busy and I don't have something to focus on, that's what happens. Or that's what used to happen. Now I'm afraid of to stop moving because I'm afraid that that's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, when you stop moving, then it's almost as though my mind and my body is like, ah, oh, you don't have a purpose anymore. I'm coming in and the darkness just, you know? takes over and it's so I'm terrified I'm even even at this age when I have the strategies and I have 
those coping mechanisms. And I have my, the support of my husband and I have a dog to take care of, which helps a lot. I'm still terrified to stop moving and I don't give myself a day. So then I'm perpetually exhausted because either I'm exhausted because I've taken a day and that's taken over or because I'm working for six jobs to not allow that to happen. Yeah. 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 And then you kind of get like fueled by the necessity to like, well, like there isn't a, you know, there's no option to slow down. Just, just, you know, go. Cause, cause otherwise you're going to you know, let this job down, let this person down. So yeah, like your body kind of has to like perform and conjure up this energy to like go, go, go. And you might actually need some rest, but that's not an option, right? It's like, just keep going, keep going, keep going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that for sure. Yes. <laughs> so when did you, um, like find the label of depression? Like, did you, what do you remember? Like at what point it, you went from being like, nobody talks about these things whatsoever. We have no idea what they are. Um, you're making it up. There's something wrong with you to like, Oh, this is a thing and other people have it. And did someone like say that word to you or do you remember? Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. You're right. It is interesting. Yeah. Bringing up that whole in the past when you and yeah, it was never talked about. Right. Just like we were saying before it was so um, it was a made up thing that people would use to, to, to cover up things or, or to have a day off uh, or I'm depressed because they're having a bad day. Right. That's what it used to be. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think it started, um, it was like my second year of college. And so I was about 19 years old and, um, that's when I was officially diagnosed, but it was a questionnaire five questions written on a piece of paper. And my doctor said, fill this out. And I filled it out. And he said, Oh, looks like you have depression, anxiety, and you're possibly bipolar from these five questions. And I remember just being in complete denial about that. First of all, I'd never really heard those words, those terms before I thought, well, what the heck is that? This is some sort of disease. Oh my gosh. I could never tell anybody. I'm going to be so judged. It's the first time I've heard of this. Um, is it contagious? Like, like, what is this? (laughs) You know, it's terrifying. And you just think, oh my God, I want to go back and redo that questionnaire. Right. (laughs) Give me another chance and I'll fill out the more positive answers so that I don't have this terrible, these terrible things that I knew nothing about. So that's when I was officially diagnosed and heard about it. But I think it took many years beyond that. And it was, um, Actually, I think a big part of it was because I still didn't have the acceptance after that, obviously, after filling out this little questionnaire, I just thought, well, this is a joke. And I went on medication and it caused me to gain a lot of weight and it completely just shut me down from any emotion Um, because I started on Prozac, which is like really, really hard. And and, um, thankfully, they've evolved those medications, but, uh, holy man, it just, I had zero motion, no highs, no lows, nothing, just flatline weight gain. And that's it. And so I tried that 
for my last year of college. And I just realized, oh my gosh, I'm having a terrible time. I can't feel anything now. I don't even have joy, but it took me forever to realize that. Cause when you get kind of on it, you just kind of, uh, like you're a zombie and you don't realize until somebody says like, man, what's, what's up with you. And you start to kind of put it together. But then I, cause they immediately, when he had me fill out that questionnaire, he was like, here, take this Prozac. It'll fix it, it all. Right. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's good. I can get rid of this quote unquote, scary disease. You take a yeah. pill, right. It's kind yep. of, that's our framework for you have a sickness, you take something. Here's <laughs> exactly. It. So that's the way you feel about it, right. You feel of it. You feel that it's like some sort of disease or illness that you just, oh, take a pill and it's gone. It's, it's, that's easy, but oh man, it made it so much worse. And, um, so I think when I started to kind of talk about it and recognize things about it was right after college, I ended up traveling for a year. And when you meet travelers, they're, they're different people. They're, um, open and not, not everybody, obviously, but in my case, in this scenario, um, people were my age and they were supportive and they were talking about it. Mm. Oh, well, I, I really struggle with depression, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, Oh my God, that's the word that was used for me. And, and I started having these conversations and I was just blown away. And I thought these people are talking about it. Like it's not something to hide from. And I thought, well, they don't seem like they have that, you know, cause they're chipper. And, and so then it took me still not on that trip. I still did not talk about my own experiences. Mm-hmm. I just listened and talked with them but I still thought, well, I don't want to scare anybody away. It's so terrifying. People are going to not want to, people won't want to be my friend. If I say that I have depression, Ugh. you know, cause they're going to be like, ah, oh, I don't want to be around you. You're a downer. Yeah. Um, even though I was hearing other people saying it and not thinking that about them at all, you know? So I don't know what's wrong with our brains when we do that, yeah. that we're just so terrified to think, even though you're not judging anyone for the same thing that's happening to you, I still was absolutely terrified, but hearing about it and hearing people talk and that they were fine and they were coping, I thought, man. So after that, a few years later, um, I finally started talking about it and it literally went from not talking about it to completing that first painting. Other than telling my my husband, um, I didn't tell anybody probably that I remember anyway, until I did that first painting. And I just thought, eh, I'm just going to post it out there. And I put it on social media and posted a video just talking about it. What year was that in approximately? That was pretty recently. I'm not going to lie. It was only like mm, four years ago, maybe. Okay. okay. Yeah. And uh, the response that I got from people around the world just telling me their own stories and opening up that's when I realized, and I, I had talked about it a little bit before that with close friends and such, but never just been open about it. Um, I don't even know. I don't even think my parents knew at that point. I think I tried to explain it, but not very well. And I was really scared to just flat out say it because um, I don't know if, I don't know how much my family kind of believed in it at that point either. Uh, they always kind of made comments that kind of made me feel like, I was making it up maybe a little bit, um, like just be happy and you know, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, just putting it out there on the power of social media, which <laughs> I despise at times, but good for something but, once in a while. Yes. <laughs> but wow. I had these people just reaching out and, and wanting to share their own stories and it's absolutely incredible and so emotional and just so powerful. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's sad, but I'm not the only one. And now it hasn't stopped since then. Now I'm very open about it. And I just think, yeah, it's not resting out of the closet. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And people keep looking at me and going like, how can you just talk about that? And I'm like, well, I never used to be able to, but yeah, I have nothing to hide. It's not like something, you know, that I, that I asked for and, and uh, I'm completely normal. It's, like everybody is everybody has issues and and everybody has a story and everybody has trauma and and uh we can't be ashamed about it it's mm-hmm. part of us and we have to learn from it and strive and uh and thrive you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah that's really cool yeah I love that um and just what you're talking about with the like you know how we judge ourselves versus judge other people right it's like when you hear someone say like oh, I'm so fat or something. And it's like, oh, so are you saying that like, you know, you're judging other people than saying like, you, they're fat or, you know, something like this, right? And then they're like, oh no, of course not. Like they have a right to be, <laughs> they can be fat, but I just can't be. <laughs> it's like, yeah. so like hard on ourselves, you know, like, like we wouldn't hold others, um, you know, we wouldn't judge others for that same thing that we're just like raking ourselves over the coals for, right? It's, it's, oh, it's so interesting. So true. Anyway. <laughs> but that's really, that's really cool that you just like threw it out there on social media and just like liberated yourself from this closet of, yeah, I'm going to hide and, and all of that. Yeah, it's really powerful. Um, I'm mindful of the time. I know because we've been at this for about an hour now, if you can believe it. <laughs> um, and I know you kind of wanted to, to wrap up around this point. So um, was there anything else that you really wanted to share? Or does that kind of cover the, I mean, of course, we could probably talk for many hours more. That's not the, that doesn't you know, this is just a glimpse of your experience and stuff, but I, I really appreciate what you were, what we started with, with the, the art and expression and um, yeah, that's, that's really important. And then just your description and some of your stories. So, yeah, um, I, I just have to put out there for anyone that's listening and struggling. It's a, it's a huge step that you're even listening and and trying to understand and trying to learn about yourself and about others and what works for them and honestly that's going to make the biggest difference uh in your own lives and just know that you're not alone I thought that I was the only person that was going through it you know because I never talked about it and uh it's so important just to be honest and 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 unafraid of of the honesty and unafraid of of um, of being, being honest about mental illness and what's happening because it, it really does affect a lot of people. And I think we're so much stronger together and we can really learn from each other and kindness is key. And all you have to do is have faith in yourself and, 
you'll get through, you'll get through these dark times, just reach out to some of these people that, that have put themselves out there. Like myself, I'm always open for anybody that wants to talk about it. I think it's so important. So, yeah. And it's so true that, you know, some people will just negate that experience and just say, ah, you know, that's not a real valid thing or like, just be happy or you're just making it up or, you know, it's kind of like uh, grief or something, right? Like there's some people you go to who will not understand your experience and they'll just say, get over it, you know, but um, there are so many people out there who will validate your experience and who, who will listen. So, um, and more and more every day, people are gaining, I think, more and more awareness, insight, compassion, understanding for um, not just pathologizing people, but understanding that there are very good reasons why our brains um, have these reactions and protections and all of those things, right? So um, mm-hmm. if one person doesn't um, validate your story or experience or hear you, there are other people out there who will. Absolutely. Yeah, I really want to thank you for this opportunity. Ah, and oh, thank you for yeah. sharing. And it's been lovely to hear more about. I just, I really, really, oh, I just, it's, I love the art for, for mental health, the art for emotional well being. Um, that's really close to my heart. Um, for me, it's writing, like writing poems and stuff like that, which is just another form of emotional outlet you know I just it's it's so awesome for folks who who have these ways that they get stuff out I think we all need to find a way um, where we can release that learn more about ourselves get it out um, whatever that may be some sort of creative expression or outlet so Thank you very much for your time. And um, if you like, um, if you want to share a photo of um, any of your pieces or anything like that, or, you know, links to it or that sort of thing, we can do that in your, with post it with the podcast here. If people want to check out some of your art and see kind of what you've been making reference to, that would be cool. Oh, that's awesome. Hmm. I'm actually working on another piece right now. Oh, very cool. Love it. Love it. I know folks can't see it who are just listening to the audio. Yeah. Um, another, <laughs> um, another beautiful woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, um, I will thank you very much for your time. And I'm going to stop our recording here.